this is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, if we can connect you with a local church or a discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. Again, we're going to be in Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. As you turn there, I want to give you a little background to the passage. This is a passage that we know, like we can locate this date so well. It's pretty cool because he gives us a lot of historical uh, um, understanding and like places the, the book really well for us. And so we can really locate it down to basically the, the exact day that this prophecy was given. Uh, it's August 29th, 520 B.C., and so think about it, what's going on right now is, you know, Daniel's taking place. We've got the rebuilding of the city and the rebuilding of the temple that's supposed to be taking place. We, we remember the stories from Daniel and from Nehemiah and from Ezra, these books of the Old Testament where uh, God's people have been freed. Uh, and from their captivity, from the exile, from their enslavement, the oppression that they experienced when they were taken from their land and put into a new land. And now they've been freed and they come back. And so when they're in Israel, they have a new, uh, a new governor, if you will. So King Darius, um, which we're going to see in here, has given the right to lead to a new governor. His name's Zerubbabel. And then there's a high priest who leads with the spiritual group, who is Joshua. And then finally, we have the prophet Haggai, who we know very little about. And so I want you to understand a little bit about what's going on as we read this passage so that we can understand better what it's saying to us today. So read with me. Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. The Lord of armies says this, these people say the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now the Lord of armies says this, think carefully about your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough to be satisfied. You drink, but never have enough to be happy. You put on clothes, but never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. And the Lord of Armies says this, Think carefully about your ways. Go up into the hills, bring down lumber, and build the house, and I will be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You expected much, but then it amounted to little. When you brought the harvest to your house, I ruined it. Why? This is the declaration of the Lord of armies, because my house still lies in ruins, while each of you is busy with his own house. So on your account, the skies have withheld the dew and the land its crops. I have summoned a drought on the fields and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, fresh oil, and whatever the grounds yield, on man and animal, and on all that your hands produced. I hope that as you walk away today, you will know that God's freedom in our life, that freedom from captivity, gives us purpose in this life. God's freedom and forgiveness gives you purpose in this life. 
Despite worldly comforts, God calls us into a life of abandoning, of committing, of serving, of doing whatever He's called us to do. And in His grace, He will give us peace. The God of all comfort will give you comfort. The God who gives peace that surpasses all understanding, that peace. The God who gives joy despite anxiety and depression, that God. And so my challenge to you this morning, again, is to find purpose. To find the commitment that God has given you. And to not let there be excuses and distractions along the way. We see a little bit about what happens to Haggai, but we know very little about who he is. In Ezra chapter 5, 1 through 2, and Ezra chapter 6, verse 14, we know that this prophecy that goes through Haggai is successful. The people respond. They do what God has called them to do. The prophecy goes through Haggai to the people. Now I want you to note that down as a truth that we need to hold on to in our own lives, is that this message was specifically to the people, but through Haggai. It was a word from the Lord and not specifically from Haggai. And that makes a difference. Jonah 1, verse 1, right? Another prophet in the Old Testament, Jonah. In verse 1 of the book that goes with his name, it says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. The word of the Lord, what? Came to Jonah. There's a little little bit of a difference here. Sometimes prophecies come to specific people. Sometimes they are for that person to go preach. And then sometimes prophecies, as we see in Haggai, go through people. And the point here being that Haggai was not known well in the, in, in, in throughout uh, history. Uh, we don't know a lot of facts about him. You can't find a lot of details about his life. We just see that little bit in Ezra and that little bit in Haggai. And here's what we do know. The prophecy that God spoke through him, the work that was, God was doing through him, became a reality. May that be like the story of your life that in three or four generations, nobody's going to know your name, Right? Nobody's going to know your existence. But what we do, hopefully in God's grace and God's mercy and within God's kingdom, He will work through you to bring about change, transformation in other people's lives. That there will be an eternal difference that takes place. Most people will never know your name. The only reason I know that most of my family's name is because I've done the ancestry for my family with my grandfather. I know back to Scotland and Ireland. I know a lot of the family names. I know a lot about the pastor that pastored in Baltimore, who was my great-great-great-great-grandfather, when we came in through this area. It's amazing to study these different things, but really, we don't know a lot about people unless we have genealogies, unless we study these things and look up these things. All we know in Haggai is this, what God sought to do through Haggai came to happen. It happened. God's word spoke through Haggai, and the people responded. You see, today we have a challenge. We don't have a new word. We have the word. We don't have a new prophecy. We have the prophecy. We know what God has said, and we preach what God has said. And today, you have the challenge, just like they did. God spoke through Haggai, and the people had the responsibility of obeying. But the responsibility also of Haggai was to accurately speak God's word. Today, preachers are responsible to accurately give what God's word says to his people. We have a a responsibility to preach God's Word. And in the same way as we're accountable to preach God's Word, you're accountable to respond to God's Word. And so what we see, even at the beginning of Haggai, is that Haggai delivers God's Word, and God's people respond to it and follow it. 
And so it goes through Haggai, not to Haggai. And what we are reading today in the Word of God goes to you. Through authors and through writers and through different personalities and languages, God's Word has been delivered to you in a way that is challenging. And you have to respond today. Will I commit my life to this truth? Will I commit my life to what God's Word says about who I should be and what I should do? The second thing we see from this passage is that God is building a kingdom. And He's using people. I mean, it's, it's uh, amazing to see how God uses uh, religious leaders, uh, political leaders, and the people in the world, from the, from the poor to the rich, and from these political leaders who have been assigned by the, 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 uh, the leader of Persia, it was a massive nation. King Darius assigns this Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. And God works through that. And I think it's important that we remember how God is working and what God is doing, because here's what we don't want to do. We don't look, want to say God can only work through these people. God can only work in this time. God can only work through this nation, or God has covenanted with this nation, or God has covenanted with these people, or God has covenanted with this work of, of, of writing. God has covenanted with anything. Instead, God, what God does is God works however He chooses. This is, man, this is a, uh, an important process in our overcoming uh, our own sovereignty in our life. It's like, you know, we want to take control of everything. Did you read that in, verses, in verse 6? Planted much, eat much, drink much, close much, wage much. Like, we want to take control of all these things and have all these things and feel like it's our effort that we put forth and to do all these things that we have done. But at the end of the day, uh, Christianity is about giving over to God, saying, what do you want? What do you want to do? You're the only one that can build this kingdom. You're the only one that can build this temple in Haggai. God, you're the one who can work. You do in us what you see fit. We'll be your people. We'll do what you call us to do. But it's your work. Notice that in Haggai, the phrase is Lord of armies. Man, like this is not, we're not talking about like some other man, some other woman, or some other child. We're not talking about some other governor or some national leader. We're talking about the God of the universe who created all things and breathed life into you. God spoke to these people through Haggai to tell them to commit their lives to something different than these excuses that they had formed. Right? The excuses uh, are in verse 4. There's one primary excuse. It says, is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? What's the excuse? The excuse is the people are like, hey, we got to build up our own houses before we can build up yours, God. We've got to build up our own houses before we can build up yours, God. We've got to have enough to eat. We've got to have enough to plant. We've got to have enough to drink. We've got to have enough to clothe ourselves. We've got to have enough wage before we can do anything for God. And Haggai comes to remind these people that the only reason you have anything is because of God. The only reason you have freedom, the only reason you're back in Israel is because of God. He freed you from your captors. And so the Lord of armies says, think carefully, verse 7, think carefully about your ways. You see, in our life, we can build commitments or excuses, and we need to be careful about thinking through what we're going to build up because we see what they built up. They built up excuses and commitments in their life that were different than what God had called them to do in their purpose. And so God realigns that commitment in their life. 
If their excuse was, we're going to build our own houses, so we can't have time to build yours, and we have commitments like planting, eating, drinking, clothes, and wages, God comes in and he says, okay, let me give you a new commitment. Look at verse 8. Go up into the hills, bring down lumber, and build the house. He says that's what God's going to please with and glorified with, right? Go up into the hills, bring down the lumber, build the house. Now, some of you are working men. I see Tom in here. Tom works with his hands. Tough man, strong man. My grandfather, tough man, strong man. You feel his hands, they feel they're calloused, right? You like give him a handshake, and you're like, where's the, what's in between us here? <laughs> I feel like I'm shaking hands with a cinder block. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's amazing. I, I, I love my papa. Uh, amazing man. Um, but worked with his hands. Can you just like, just for a second, just imagine what this is like, what God just told them to do? Climb up the mountains bring down the lumber, build a temple. That's not easy work, y'all. When I think about that, you can, you can laugh at me and make fun of me. I'm totally okay with that. Because think about this. You're driving, this is what I think about, driving one of them lumber trucks. You know what I'm talking about? They got the big posts on the sides. 18 wheelers, they got the big posts on the sides. You drive them up. They, they take big machines and load up the uh, trucks with these huge logs, uh, trees really, that have been cut with the limbs off, um, and put these on these log trucks, and then they drive them down the mountains. Y'all ever seen them drive on these things? They're like driving down like the thinnest roads possible to get down to the bottom or to get to where they're going. And it's like risks and all this stuff. But you see that and you're like, man, yeah, they just chopped that down with a machine, put it up with a machine, drove it down with a machine. You're like, man, that's pretty impressive. No, God called them to build a temple with logs from a mountain. Hey, God's, God's commitment and calling in your life is not going to always be easy. God's commitment and call in your life is not always going to seem like in worldly sense that it makes sense with what's going on in your life. Right now you may be like, well, I got, I got this I got to do, or I, I got too much on my plate, God. Like, I, I can't do that. Like, that's their excuse. That's verse 4, y'all. But what is that? Why, what, what, what happens when, when people have that kind of excuse and those kind of commitments? Look at verse 9 and 10. You expected much, but then you amounted a little. You brought the harvest to your house, and what? The Lord of armies ruined it. Why? Verse 9, Why? This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. Because my house still lies in ruins while each of you is busy with his own house. But it's like, God, I've got too much. I, I can't do that right now. I don't have the time for that. I don't have the family structure for that. I'm not ready for that. God, I need to get these things together. I can't do this yet. So much of our own sovereignty is about what we can do right now and what I have time for right now. And God, you can't use me right now. God, you can't use this time right now. Use them. Don't use me. And all of a sudden it becomes like I'm sovereign over my own life. Like I know what I can do and can't do when God's the one who can do anything through me. God's the provider. God's the sustainer. God gives us everything we need and sustains us in every season of our life. And yet we take it back like, well, God, I can't do that right now. I can't. Like, I don't, I don't have the capacity for that. I don't have the, uh, I don't want to do that. I want the things outside of this. I don't want what you want for my life. All of a sudden, we take sovereignty and back. And look at what verse 10 and 11 says. So on your account, the skies have withheld the dew and the land its crops. I've summoned a drought on the fields and the hills, on the grain, new wine, fresh oil, and whatever the ground yields, on a man and animal, and on all that your hands produce. And it's like, God, but... Those are things that like, I want and I feel like I need. 
Like those are those not not all these things are bad. Like why planting much and harvesting is bad. Why eating is bad. It, it's not. Wearing clothes is not even bad. Like it's a good thing. Uh, like these things aren't bad, right? Dew's good. Rain's great. Food is nice. And it's not always like worldly things that we feel like we need that are the things that God gives us. And what we have to do is we have to see this. If we're believers of God's word and follow after God, we realign our commitment. We realign our desires to the word of God. Now look, this is our logic. Right? This is how we think. If we build and we harvest, we'll have what we need. If we build and we harvest, we'll have what we need. It's that idea that, like, I just need to work harder. I just need to do more. I just need to get more. I just need to figure it out. I can do this. I've got this. But the kingdom of God is not, that's not how the, God has worked out his kingdom. In God's kingdom, do his will. He provides what we need. And, and they're not a direct parallel, like if we do what he asks, I'm going to get these worldly pleasures. If we do what he asks, I'm going to get these worldly needs. No, if we do what he asks, we'll get what he gives us. And a lot of times, that's not what we feel like we want and need. But again, I, I've said this before, but there's new people here today, and so I want to remind us of this, and we need to soak in on this truth, is that um, we are the creation, not the creators. We don't know what we need. I'm about to have a baby in two months like eight weeks, right? Super excited about it. Nervous. <laughs> it's our third. Um, I know what that baby needs. I'm not going to be perfect at it, but, you know, sleep, food, it's good. They need that. You got to change diapers. Those three things, and you're doing pretty, pretty good. All right, future parents, it's pretty good. I know what that baby needs. Y'all, sometimes we are like babies in this world. We're like, man, I just want all these different things. Like, I just need all, and God's like, I know what you need. And part of our life and like commitment to God is saying, I want to be sovereign over when God works. I want to be sovereign over who God works through. And I want to be sovereign over what God gives me while I'm working. And that's not how the kingdom of God works. God's chosen time, God's chosen people, and God will choose to give and to withhold. And it's our responsibility to go, okay, God, what you are doing in my life, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, sacrifice, I'm going to serve, I'm going to commit to, I'm going to give over, God, whatever you want, I'll do. It doesn't make sense with the worldly thoughts, but it makes sense with God's word. It is truth from God's Word. He will give us what we need. We just don't always know what we need. Now, there's some differences between this passage and us today that I want to recognize. The first is critical to understanding the second. The first is that God has chosen to work through the church rather than a particular nation. All right, we've, we've studied this. I will briefly tell you what this means. It means that I've got little children looking at me through the window, and I love it. Hi there. Like, let the little kids come. I love it. I don't know what they're doing, but it's great. I think it's my son. Um, and I hear the babies crying. I just, 
I always want to remind people like that church is for the children, so I'm always okay with it. I love the cries, Sade. Just l- let them cry. Um, don't be distracted by that. That is the future of God's kingdom at work. All right? Seriously. Okay, anyways, I'm distracted right now. What am I talking about? Bye, children. Uh, uh, so, seriously, that God is working through his church, not a particular nation. God has chosen to covenant with um, God's chosen people who happen to be through Jesus Christ and not through an ethnicity, uh, not through Abraham's uh, ethnicity, but now through Jesus, new people who are the people of God by faith not by national identity or ethnicity. We've talked about that a lot, right? Now Ephesians tells us Jesus has torn down the dividing wall of hostility. There's no dividing wall of hostility. We are coming here from all different backgrounds and from everywhere. We are the people of God by faith, right? So God has chosen to work through a people, not a nation. Let that sink in. It's a tough one, but we, we have to come to grips with this, okay? God is not working through a nation. God's working through his church. We don't give that responsibility back to anybody else. That is your calling. It's your responsibility to preach the gospel message of Jesus Christ and salvation to the world. It's nobody else's. It's the church's responsibility. That leads naturally into Old Testament and New Testament. That leads us naturally into this truth. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in you? God has chosen to work through the church and not the nations, which means that now we know that God's temple is not located within a nation. You are God's temple. The presence of God dwells within you. You can see this in Ephesians 2, 2 Corinthians 5. The temple is not made by human hands, but by God. God lives within you. And with that truth known that that God's working in the church and that we are the new temples, think about what that means for us today. As we think about building the kingdom of God, we're not thinking about building bigger buildings. We're not thinking about building up new temples in the sense of a physical building. We're thinking about building new temples in the sense of let's go make disciples. Why? Because every single disciple that comes to faith in Jesus Christ is now the Spirit of God is living in them, moving in them, giving them spiritual gifts and disciplines to go out into the world and make more disciples, which is more temples. So we live by a different challenge. Just like the people in Israel and Haggai need to remind them, hey, stop being committed to things that aren't what, you, what God told you to do. We need to be reminded sometimes, hey, God's called you to something. God's given you a commitment. Stop making excuses and not do what God's called you to do. And so Haggai wants to remind them to build the temple. And I want to remind you today, build the temple. Whether you're discipling one or ten or twenty or hundreds, whoever God has called you to disciple, build the temple. Make disciples work in this world. You see, we live in a world that still wants to build their own houses, cities, and nations in the name of God rather than building the kingdom of God. We have our excuses and we have our commitments. And a lot of times our commitments become our excuses, right? A lot of times our commitments become our excuses. I want you today to think about this. And it's going to be part of the gospel response. What are your commitments? And are they good excuses? Because when you can discern by the Holy Spirit, good community, God's word, when you can discern what God has called you to commit yourself to, when you can discern what God has called you to commit yourself to, that's a wonderful excuse. It should be the excuse of your life. 
Like people should come up to you and be like, hey, I want you to go do this, or I want you to be part of this, or I want you to commit yourself to this. And you should go, I'm sorry, I have a commitment. Can you imagine the people that were coming up to, these, uh, to the Israelites at this time? They had been freed out of slavery. Now they're back in the land um, where God had given them. And God's like, build this temple. And they're like, um, actually, I need to go um, plant a vineyard. Like, actually, I need to go build up this house, and that will take care of me. It's a complete denial of what God can do in your life, that God can provide what he said he can provide. It's not that building a house is wrong. It's not that building builds, buildings are wrong. It's not that planting a vineyard or planting a wonderful garden at your house is wrong. None of those things are wrong. But when they become an excuse to do what God has called you to do, now they become an idol in your life. Now you're willing to do that rather than doing what God's called you to do. So what has God called you to do? What has God called each one of you to do? Just like in Haggai, they'd been given a calling because they were freed from their oppression. You've been freed. You've been forgiven. Now what's your calling? What's your commitment? Because the Lord of armies says to think carefully about your ways. So I want to close with this and the band as the band comes. How does Haggai point to Jesus? How does, how does Haggai point to Jesus? Because the Old Testament is the journey towards Christ. The Old Testament is where Jesus preached from. It was his Bible. The Old Testament is where first Peter, uh, sorry, Peter stood up in Acts, the first sermon ever preached. Peter preached from Joel and from Psalm, and he preached Christ. And when Paul in 2 Timothy told that young preacher what to preach, he said, preach the, preach the uh, scriptures that your, that your grandmother taught you. Preach the Old Testament. Because all the Old Testament points to Jesus. And so today, Haggai points to Jesus. One of, the, one of my favorite ways that it points to Jesus, Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is a governor in a foreign land, uh, uh, from a foreign land's uh, uh, oversight. Right? They, this this uh, foreign government says that Zerubbabel can be the governor who oversees this political leadership. Zerubbabel follows what God calls him to do. And Zerubbabel ends up in Jesus' genealogy. In both Matthew and Luke. At the time, I don't know if anybody knew Zerubbabel necessarily. Is, I don't know a couple generations later if they had any, what they viewed Zerubbabel as. I, didn't know, I don't know what he thought he was going to do in his own life or what his life would end up being. But he was part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Today, you may feel like you're not doing anything super significant. Maybe you feel like you don't know what you're doing or where God's leading you or what you're supposed to do and all those different things. Just be faithful. We say that a lot around here because I just want to remind you, if you're Haggai and we don't really talk about who you are and know anything about you, that's all right. Just be faithful. Or maybe you're Zerubbabel and you don't know that from you is coming the Savior. Just do what God's called you to do today. Uh, and, and the second uh, the way that this points to Jesus and that we learn about Jesus is that God is building a new temple. I've said this already a little bit to you, but John chapter 2, verse 19 says, Destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. And the people just went crazy over this. Like, you're going to destroy a physical temple and build it in three days? What, you're going you're to climb up the mountain, grab the, t- the lumber, and build this thing in three days? It ain't going to happen. Why? Because Jesus wasn't talking about a physical building. And today, we know the challenge of Haggai 
to build that temple has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, that he has a new temple and that it's you. And if you've never believed in Jesus Christ and you're here today, I want to tell you the gospel message of Jesus Christ is that God sent his son to live the life that you could never live. We live in perfect lives. Jesus lived a perfect life. That Jesus died on the cross. He died the death that you were supposed to die. As a result of our own sin, we should be dead. We should experience the wrath of God. But because of Jesus Christ, we don't experience the wrath. We experience the grace and the mercy, the love and the comfort, the peace, the joy and the hope. And that through Jesus Christ's resurrection, we too, one day, that we may die physically, will live for eternity with God. And so today, if you've never believed in Jesus, I want to remind you that Haggai is telling us that God's presence is dwelling in this earth. And today, God's presence will dwell in you to bring about life and joy and hope and all those good things if you believe in Jesus, that he is your Savior, that he's the only way, that he died for you, and that he raised from the dead. Believe in Jesus. And for those who have believed in Jesus today, have you gotten comfortable Have you gotten to a place in your life where you're like, I I think I figured these things out and I got control over my life and just today you just need to give back over control to the Lord. Maybe you need to make some time in your own life to, to give it over to the Lord to say, God, this is not mine, this is yours and I took it back. Provision, uh, taking care of you. Calling. Protection while you're on your calling. Maybe today you're afraid of what you might have to do in your family there's struggle in your family. And it's gotten become comfortable just to not deal with it. Maybe today you need to get uncomfortable. Maybe the comfort in this world is that we found a way to avoid discomfort, a way to avoid tough discussions, a way to avoid the truth. Maybe today you need to rethink how your church brings you comfort. Maybe today you, you've, you've shifted how you view the church and what you're desiring from it. You want comfort in the church rather than wanting what God's called you to do. And remember this, y'all. God's not calling you to holy, dis, holy uh, discontent and discomfort from heaven. We're going to be uncomfortable and we're going we're gonna to struggle in this world. But we've got to remember that all of our discomfort all of our pain, emotional struggle, all of our anxiety, depression, all of those things. Remember, your God is the God of all comfort. He's the God who gives peace that surpasses all understanding. And this God can give you peace and comfort that is greater than the discomfort of this world. And so, though we may be called to be uncomfortable in this world, we are given the greatest comfort in this world. Second Corinthians tells us, the God of all comfort. And so I'm challenging you to get uncomfortable and to find the comfort of God. What does it look like for you today to be faithful, even if it means uncomfortable according to worldly things? What does it mean for you today to be sent, even if it means to be uncomfortable according to worldly things? As we go into a time of prayer, if you will, just kind of focus in. If that means closing your eyes, bowing your heads, do that, whatever it means for you. If you will, just, I just want you to think about this. Could you clearly communicate to your friend or your spouse or to your children or your parents? Could you clearly communicate 
what God has called you to do and how that's created discomfort in this world but yet allowed you to find comfort in God? Or would you today maybe say that you feel like God's called you to do something but you've been running away from it like Jonah or you've been running away from it like Peter Maybe you've been just running away from these things and you're going, okay, God, I'm ready to give up my plans. I'm ready to give up my my finances. I'm ready to give up my desires. I'm ready to give up my uh, provisions. I'm ready to give up the comfort. I'm ready to give it up all to take up what you have, knowing that you have more than I could ever need. Is there somebody in this room who's just been a sovereign over their own life, felt like they could control their entire life, and today it's just time to give it over to God and say, I'm tired of building up my own house. I want to build up yours. I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to be over here, and I would love to talk to you about what that looks like for your life, but I I hope that you'll spend time this week thinking through these things. Let me pray for you. God, you are here. Your presence is in us. We are your temple. And I pray, God, today that you would protect us, you'd give us comfort, you'd give us hope and joy and peace, you'd give us everything that we need. But, God, I pray that if, if there's anybody in this room, including myself, who's not following after what you've called us to do and have fallen into a season of comfortability and contentment and abandon our commitment to you, that you would call us back. God, we're your people. Send us wherever you have for us. Help us to do what you've called us to do. Let our commitment be the greatest excuse we've ever had. And let not our excuses get in the way of your commitment. So, Father, we love you and praise you in your son's name. Amen.
church. Remember, you're sitting in the midst of darkness to light it up. We'll see you again next week. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.